That's in the Bible, episode 28. After this, the judgment. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saved from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello and welcome back to That's in the Bible. Glad you could join us. My name's Eric and I just want to say it's good to be saved. Amen. And here we are again. We've all gathered together. And even though it's snowing and we've had a lot of snow yesterday, enough snow, enough snow so that I got to actually stay home because they closed all the schools in the area. <laughs> course i didn't want to stay home but i was worried about the children i wanted to make sure that the children were safe (laughs) and so knowing that the children would be safe if the buses were not on the roads we all stayed home for the children so that was good and i think that was steve we just heard laughing steve how are you tonight Uh, i'm doing well doing very well thank you you guys got a little buffalo gets a really bad rap we've had just flurries i don't know what all this big snow stuff is all about i mean Buffalo gets all this snow, blah, blah, blah. Of course, we haven't got anything. To us, a foot is flurry, so. (laughs) (laughs) And boy, isn't that the truth, huh? And that, of course, was uh, Pastor Strobel from beautiful, sunny downtown Lockport, New York. (laughs) We we had three days of sun the end of January, and I don't know that we've seen it since. That's that's pretty (laughs) rough. actually, Actually, we did see it today. Yeah. But the air, the air didn't know it, but we saw the sun. Right. We had a little sun out here today, too, so it's always nice when you see the uh, bright orb in the sky. It takes a yes. minute to organize yourself. What is that? Yes. <laughs> it's good to see. Remember what it is. And Matt, what about uh, Syracuse? Uh, it's, it's not too bad. It's a little cold today, and uh, it was a little iced over when I got home from work, and I actually had to go get my uh, oil changed today after work, so I ran out to try and get in my car to get there on time. And uh, didn't see the black ice, fell flat on my back. Oh, and uh, <laughs> so that was fun. You know, you try and make sure that nobody sees you. And then uh, by accident, I guess I hit my uh, car alarm. So my car alarm <laughs> <tore> off. <laughs> so here I am. I'm trying to get up with nobody noticing me. My car alarm. <laughs> and I'm in a lot of pain. And I'm getting up, trying to turn off my car. And, uh, I got my car. I got to. Uh, I got to uh, the. Uh, get my oil change on time so everything worked out but <laughs> no no big flurries here just a lot, a lot of ice <laughs> did you well, hit that, your head no i hit the back of my uh, pelvis here oh, my. <laughs> so it's a little bruised up but i'm mad Thank you'll God. go to any length you'll go to any length to keep from playing me in basketball <laughs> that's right i'm scared i'm ready We're, when we go to pensacola i'm all that's set. that's where i intend on playing you so <laughs> That's a challenge. Sounds I'll like, go easy on you. You know, you're a little bit older. Yeah, than you, so. yeah I'm older, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. You've been playing, Steve? Uh, really, I haven't. Uh, I've had so much to do. Um, you know, I teach on Wednesday nights, and and then uh, I've been doing the thing on church history and, and just trying to get ready for that. Uh, it just takes up too much time. So uh-huh. had to forego the basketball for a little while. Um, but, uh, you know, stay busy, try to stay in shape. 
Hmm. We, we had uh, we have a basketball ministry every Tuesday, and and uh, I was able to preach this last Tuesday and uh, preached on the tree of life and how it's a type of Jesus Christ, and and uh, it was great. There was about forty guys there in a small little uh, gym, one court, and yeah. uh, it's amazing how we probably twenty of them are lost, and you know about half of them every time that come are lost, and uh, they just hear the gospel every time, and it's amazing that they keep coming because a lot of them have to sit out for a long time uh, to be able to get playing time. And, uh, and they keep coming, and they keep hearing the gospel. So praise the Lord, and, and uh, if everybody could just pray for, for this basketball ministry and for the Amen. souls to be saved. Amen. 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 Pastor Matt, here in um, Binghamton and myself, we've been getting together with a fellow that uh, recently got saved, and, and, uh, and you know, part of it is just kind of getting together for fellowship, and, and uh, sometimes we grab a bite to eat and, and doing some Bible studies and things, and we uh, just kind of, uh, he, he asked Eric, what do you got? <laughs> so I turned to the back of my Bible and said, how about the seven mysteries? <laughs> so we went, over, we went over the seven mysteries. And that was pretty good. And Pastor Matt says, hmm, that's good. I'm, I, might, I, might, I might use that. I might preach on those. <laughs> Take one a Sunday. So it was fun. Amen. We're having a good time. Come How are things in Lockport? Going well. Keeping keeping busy. We had a good meeting um, in Connecticut. Uh, appreciate your prayers for that. That's... Services went well. Uh, man was saved on uh, Friday night after their uh, the banquet uh, service. That was the night when they had the church anniversary banquet, and I Amen. preached a shorter message than usual. And that might be telling me something. That's the only one that <laughs> got saved. <laughs> <laughs> so back in town now and. Uh, keep him busy with the ministry here. Amen. I think we're, did, did Pastor Matt tell you, Matt, that uh, we're going to have a revival here in April? No. And uh, he said he asked you about the evangelist. I don't, I wasn't familiar with him, but his last name is Schwanky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's pretty good. And you've heard him? Yep. Have you guys heard him? I have heard, uh, actually there's two by that, that name. One is the nephew, I believe the other, so there's a younger one. Uh, who's just recently gone into evangelism last couple mm-hmm. years, and then his uncle, who's been in evangelism for several years. And I've heard both of them preach, and the the uncle I heard preach for the first time, at, I think it was in October, mm-hmm. at a uh, youth fellowship. He did a real good job. I think this is the younger one. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah. Steve, I think, is the younger one. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Yep. But that'll be good. I'm looking forward to that. Yep. I heard him at a youth camp as well. Did a good job. Mm-hmm. Amen. And then I thought of you, Steve. How's that? Well, you know, what about uh, Steve? Steve coming out and doing a little. Uh, That'd be good. All right. Have you ever thought of doing that? Uh, preaching someplace? Yeah, I mean, like uh, if I'm invited, like, like doing a revival. I don't normally get invited, so I. <laughs> <laughs> the last we'll church ahead of time about you. last church he asked to let him come. It didn't work out, did it? <laughs> <laughs> Always best when we're invited, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I've 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 come to uh, some churches here locally that uh, have asked for someone to come in and fill in the pulpit and stuff. So, you know, I've I've been other places and preached. It's just right. we've had him uh, preach for us, and he's done a great job. Amen. This would have been during the week, and I was thinking, you know, I know how that would work if you could get time off from work. You know, like it would have been vacation time. Maybe or something. Wednesday, yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, something like that. Yeah. All right, well, keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. All right, anything else? 
Well, uh, Brother Eric, I'd like to give a shout out to um, Art, who uh, wrote mm-hmm. in, left a comment. Um, Art, I know from uh, my days in Pensacola, Florida, and during Bible school. And uh, Art, if you're listening, it was good to hear from you. And I still have that Bible that you gave me. Mm-hmm. Art uh, had a he had a custom made Bible put together for himself that was interleaved, and it didn't turn out quite how he liked it. And so he gave it to me to make good use of. Matter of fact, I was looking at it today. I've got it at the office, and still have a lot of notes in there, and um, use it for uh, reference uh, for for those notes and and uh, other things. Marked up a lot in there, so I've gotten good use out of it. Amen. Thanks again. And um, uh, and the, he apparently has a connection with you, right, Steve? Well, I don't. I I, uh, I am not Steve Weesey, as Art had supposed. Uh, but I was saved uh, three days, three days, three days after Steve Weesey was saved on the on the uh, ship USS Grand Canyon, AR twenty eight, and. Uh, uh, I had gone to Bible school uh, before Steve had gotten out and Art had gotten out of the service. So I was gone, I believe, by the time that they arrived at Bible school. But I, if I'm not mistaken, I think I have met Art before. And uh, uh, I, my memory is so poor, I, I thought he might have been on my ship before that. And that's the reason for the comment on the, on the website. So uh, I was just trying to figure that out. I thought... I thought he had been in the Navy, so uh, the name was very familiar to me, and, and I remember Steve Weesey talking of him and speaking of him. And, uh, so that was the reason for the comments. So. Amen. And uh, yeah, I think you mentioned, too, that he, he kind of found us or found that's in the Bible through iTunes, which you can do. Uh, but if you're listening to that, uh, to our program right now, and well, I guess you must be or you wouldn't be able to hear this, would you? <laughs> but if you've come through iTunes and you've discovered us that way, we also have a website which um, lists a bunch of show notes and things that, except for last show, that uh, is pretty informative. And uh, it's that's in the Bible.com, all one word. What, what are you laughing about, Steve? Uh, I'm responsible for those show notes that aren't there yet. <laughs> they are coming. I just, I have been busy. I have yeah, been I busy. We so. wouldn't think anything else. Uh, of course you wouldn't. <laughs> if, if Steve has not been playing basketball, you know he's been busy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Uh, that's good. And Matt, you're going to bring us the uh, quote of the day today, right? I am. All right. Well, let me give you a little... Uh, Quote of the day music. Here you go. Very little. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that entrance, <laughs> I feel special here. And you are. Well, this quote comes from uh, actually two gentlemen that uh, really hated the, uh, the King James Bible. And that King James Bible came out in 1611. And, uh, actually, and also the text that it came from, which is the Textus Receptus. And they loathed it. They, they hated the, the text and... And what they did was they got a revision committee together, and that was around 1871 that they did this. And uh, they were instructed just to go by the King James text, uh, but just change little things that they thought needed to be changed. But what they did was they were really sly, and, and they took uh, some text from Egypt, and, uh, and what they did was they took that and put it into the, what they believed. And it was just a messed up bunch of things that they believed, and, and we'll go over that in another podcast. Um, but I'm going to go over two quotes that they that they changed. And every 
modern Bible version that comes out since the 1611 King James Bible are all results of uh, these two men, Westcott and Hort, uh, that believe just crazy, crazy things. And, and it's, it's pretty amazing. Here's, here's one quote that, uh, that Hort said, and uh, he quotes, and he says, I am inclined to think that no such state as Eden, I mean the popular notion, ever existed and that Adam's fall in no degree differed from the fall of each of his descendants, as Coleridge justly argues. Now, here comes uh, Westcott, which uh, was his uh, buddy in arms here, and uh, he says, No one now, I suppose, holds that the first three chapters of Genesis, for example, give a literal history. I could never understand how anyone reading them with open eyes could think they did. And uh, that's uh, Westcott and Hort. I mean, this is what all the new Bible versions come from, is uh, from their corrupt texts. Uh, these men weren't saved uh, by all the accounts that we have. They never, uh, they both believed in baptismal re regeneration. They believe that uh, being baptized by water will get you saved. So these men were not saved that, that uh, had a part in all these new Bible versions. And uh, I just wanted to go to John chapter 5. I mean, here they say that, uh, it's amazing that, uh, you know, anybody could believe that Genesis is a literal account. You know, they believed it was just an allegory. Uh, if you look at John chapter 5, Jesus Christ gives us the account that he believed and he knew that that literal account of Genesis was real. Gen uh, John chapter 5, starting at verse 44, Jesus Christ said, How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Here's Westcott and Hort that didn't believe Moses' writings. And Jesus Christ is saying right here that if you believe not Moses, you can't even believe Jesus Christ. So these men were definitely not saved. They didn't believe uh, in the Bible at all. And uh, this is what you got all the new modern ver Bible versions coming from. Well, one thing I can say is that, and it's in typical fashion, uh, what they attempted to do here, at least from these comments, was destroy the foundation. Uh, if they can attack Genesis and attack, attack the beginning, uh, then they can. Then the rest of the Bible is fair game. Um, you know what every evolutionist wants to do, every Bible corrector wants to do, is to. Uh, take away uh, the beginning of the book so that they can uh, basically disprove God and, and uh, you know, the rest of the Bible is just a matter of opinion. If God isn't God, and, uh, you know, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, if he's not that God, then he's not the God of the rest of the Bible. Right. And, uh, you know, if they can make everything else allegory, that it's just, uh, you know, like... Um, Nostradamus or, or some of the others, you know, and it's just a writing in compared to their writing, uh, then that book isn't, isn't a special book. And, of course, we believe it's God's book. Amen. And, uh, uh, you know, it is what we are supposed to have to know of him and how we can meet him and how we can be for, uh, with him forever. In Matthew 7.20, Jesus said, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And the fruit of um, people that believe like that is certainly not going to be a, a pure text. And if you had no other reason for rejecting the text that uh, Westcott and Horse 
produced and smuggled into the revision committee uh, to, to finally produce the revised version of 1881 and, and subsequent versions. You had no other reason to reject it, but uh, what Matt just read, uh, that'd be enough. Man. And uh, that being said, there's plenty of other reasons to reject it when you get yeah. to looking at the, the text themselves, the proofs and the pudding. Mm-hmm. Amen. Just uh, going through those Ripplinger books, those are, those are, I mean, if you, I don't know how you can even read a couple of chapters of those books and a bunch of others, you know, that, that compare the, uh, the corrupt translations to the, uh, the real thing. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing. And if somebody's looking for a good book on the, the uh, you know, where we got our Bible from, things like that, I've been reading uh, Gibbs' Understandable History of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's by uh, Samuel C. Gipp, and it's a really good book. And uh, I, uh, I really, you know, if, if anybody's looking for a good book to read about where we got the Bible, where the manuscripts came from, uh, the corrupt versions, what's wrong with them, uh, definitely pick this up if you can. And uh, he makes a good point. I mean, he, here this guy is he, he, in both of them, Westcott and Hort, and you hear what they believe and that they're not saved, all these kind of things that they, that they believe. And, uh, you know, most even pretty much liberal churches and colleges nowadays wouldn't even have these guys in to speak, wouldn't even have them come in to preach if they believe those kind of things. But here they have these uh, Bible versions, the NIV, the NASV, uh, the RV, all these different Bible versions in their pulpits. And uh, and they believe them on you know their their ability to translate you know Bible versions and things like that, but uh, it's just amazing that they would have those in their pulpits when when these men believe such things. Amen. And I'll just second that. That is a really well written book, and and it's it's written in an interesting fashion, and it's it's not you know it's not super um, difficult to understand. It's yeah. It's not you know. Some sometimes I think people think, oh, that's going to be you know dry and and but Dr. Gipp I think uh, writes in a really understandable way and yes. and uh, sometimes entertaining. So I think it's I would certainly second that to pick that up if you're wanting to take a look at that subject. Amen. All right. And uh, anything else? All right. Where are they? <laughs> there they are. I guess not then. <laughs> so, uh, Pastor Strobel, you're going to bring us after this the judgment, correct? Yes. Are you set to go with that? Uh, ready to go, Lord willing. All right. So, here's Pastor Strobel with after this the judgment. Amen. Amen. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, for your goodness to us. I thank you personally for saving my soul, and on behalf of these other men, we thank you for uh, salvation. I pray tonight as we look into your word that you'd indeed open our eyes, help us to behold wondrous things out of these uh, words that you preserved for us, uh, open our ears, and help us to hear, Lord, what the Spirit of God has to say and to teach each and every one of us. Let these words go uh, beyond just um, our private conversation right now and uh, run swiftly into the ears of somebody that needs them, for somebody that's unsaved, I pray that you'd help them to hear these words and repent of their sin and trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Amen. For those of us that are saved, may we be awakened and aware of uh, what we face uh, in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 27, the Bible says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. The last four words of that verse is where I take my title tonight, After this, the judgment. 
after this life, after this existence down here on this earth, after this time of uh, mortality, uh, we're going to face a judgment. The Bible makes it very plain and clear that uh, we will die. Uh, We know that without the Bible, just by observation. But the same verse that talks about it being appointed unto men once to die says, but after this, the judgment. So after our death on this earth, after our mortal life on earth is finished, we will face judgment. This is a foundational truth that needs to be understood by every human being that uh, walks on this earth. If you're going to be prepared to meet the Lord, if you're going to be prepared to go uh, into eternity, to leave this life and go on into the next, uh, you're going to have to first recognize that you're going to face judgment. Um, somebody says, well, that makes me kind of uh, afraid to think about facing judgment. Well, it ought to. Uh, the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A person that doesn't fear God uh, has no wisdom. And so uh, this, is, this is a truth. It's not something that somebody has created just to uh, keep men in religious bondage. It's uh, the cold, hard facts. And the Bible claims it. The Bible states it. Uh, the Bible makes reference to it uh, in a number of places, we'll, uh, some of which we'll uh, hit on tonight. So the Bible is very clear that one day there's coming a day of judgment, a day of reckoning, when each individual will individually stand before the Lord to be judged. As you rightly divide the word of truth, you're going to find two main judgments that fit this bill. One of them is the judgment seat of Christ, and the other is the great white throne judgment. And this lesson uh, is going to deal with both of those judgments. First of all, let's talk about the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is for the Christian. Even if you are a Christian, you will be judged. There's a verse that um, is often quoted, and uh, we'll quote it in soul winning, and uh, I've used it in street preaching, and um, it's okay to use it in in those uh, scenarios, but it's important for us to note in a doctrinal context uh, who it's written to. Here's the verse, Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Every one of us. And we'll use that to emphasize to the unsaved person that they need to be aware that they have to give account of themselves to God. And that's true. However, in the context, it uh, would do us well to note that uh, Paul's writing the book of Romans to saved people. And you can look at that more precisely in Romans chapter 1 to find out uh, who he's addressing as he addresses the saints. And saints in the Bible are, are living, saved people. And as he addresses those people... Uh, he, he tells them that uh, they have to give account of themselves to God. When he says it, he says, so then every one of us, Paul includes himself with that, shall give account of himself to God. Paul was a born-again Christian at this point, and so he acknowledged that he himself would one day have to give account of himself to God. Moreover, as you read in the context prior to verse number 12, you would have come across verse 10, if you're reading your Bible uh, through, and uh, verse 10 says this, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. To the Christian who is uh, worried about being critical of his brother and uh, writing them off or uh, pigeonholing them into um, a category of being somebody that's worthless and God will never use or never bless, the Lord's saying, instead of spending your time worrying about that, uh, you need to recognize the Lord's going to take care of that at the judgment seat of Christ. Moreover, you need to be prepared for the day when you go before the judgment seat of Christ. Furthermore, in the context, another verse that um, sometimes will get reference to uh, the unsaved, which we find it is true of the unsaved, but, but in the context of God's people, 
He says in verse 11, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And in that context, that's everybody. I mean, saved or lost, Christian um, or uh, unsaved, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So one day, every one of us was, is going to, with our tongues, confess to God and give account of himself to God. Uh, it's important to be prepared for that day. So the judgment seat of Christ is for Christians, and Christians will give account of themselves to God. No lost people will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Only saved people. And this judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, is not going to determine whether the Christian goes to heaven or hell. That was determined when the Christian got saved. The moment you're born again, your eternal destination is set, you're saved, you're sealed, you're secured, and you will go to heaven. Everybody that's judged at the judgment seat of Christ will go to heaven. Let's make sure we understand that. What, then, is the purpose of this judgment? Paul put it this way. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, he said, For we must all appear. And note again, he groups himself together with those Christians that are going to appear here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. At the judgment seat of Christ, the Christian will receive for the things that he's done since he's become a Christian. And he will receive for those things, whether they be good or whether they be bad. We'll get into the particulars of that in a moment. But at the judgment seat of Christ, we who are saved will present our lives before the Lord. According to our loving service or lack thereof, we're either going to receive rewards or going to suffer loss. And when we say suffer loss, we're not talking about the loss of salvation, but rather the loss of rewards. In Second John, uh, that little epistle of just one chapter, in verse number, number 8, it says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. When dealing with the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord seems to always bring up the rewards first. And what we want to do is we want to receive a full reward. We want to uh, get all that we can uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, not for selfish gain, uh, not for bragging rights, but for the glory of God. Jesus would say in John 15, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bring forth much fruit. And uh, that should be our desire, that one day we might uh, be able to present that fruit to our Savior in appreciation for what he's done for us. When, when dealing with the judgment seat of Christ, as I mentioned then, it seems the Lord brings these rewards up first. For example, in the verse that we quoted from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let me hit it, read part of that again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good. The first thing he brings up is, is good, and after that, or bad. So he brings up good first. And I find this instructive uh, as I look at uh, references to the uh, judgment seat of Christ. Uh, I find it instructive because uh, the primary purpose of the judgment seat of Christ is to reward the Christian for his faithful service. Uh, we'll see it here in a moment uh, when we look at 1 Corinthians 3, but when, when the Lord deals with 1 Corinthians 3, he also brings up the rewards before uh, he brings up the loss. And what's, what's really intriguing is, as you get to thinking about this, you get to realizing that God wants to reward his children. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse number 6, the Bible says, 
But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God wants us to know, not only does he exist, but that he rewards those that diligently seek him. As we seek him, uh, we will uh, serve him, and uh, as we do those things, uh, we'll earn rewards, eternal rewards. The treasure that uh, moth, neither moth nor rust, doth corrupt. The treasure that thieves can't break through or steal. Those treasures that Jesus told us to lay up in heaven. And uh, that's the type of rewards that we're talking about. God wants to give his children rewards. In Hebrews 6.10 it says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Uh, the Lord sees what we do. And the Lord's interested in us serving him, and the Lord's interested in uh, giving us rewards and filling our coffers, as it were, with rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. He wants to reward his children. God's on our side. It's, it's as if he were rooting for us to, to do right and to serve him so that he can reward us with a great payoff, a great payday, so to speak, at the judgment seat of Christ. Not only are we saved then, and on our way to heaven, if you've been born again. But you have the opportunity to earn some eternal rewards. I, I am certain that Christians have a hard time putting a, a value or understanding the value on those rewards. If, if we understood them like we should, we would probably do more to gain those rewards. But, but, but right now, by serving the Lord and living for Him and exercising ourselves in, in the areas of Christian discipline and our, and our Christian disciplines, you know what? Uh, we are earning... Uh, and laying up treasures in heaven and, and, and earning and purchasing, as it were, spiritual stocks, uh, the value of which will skyrocket when the trumpet sounds. And I'm sure we don't grasp it. But we were to walk by faith and not by sight. We like those things that we can see. The judgment seat of Christ is going to reward us for things that we've done, uh, w which we can't always see a reward for down here on this earth. Now, the Lord is uh, he's interested in, in rewarding us, and in uh, regard to those rewards, the Bible says, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So these rewards are gained by one's own individual effort as a Christian. What's tremendous about this is that nobody can deny you of getting rewards at the judgment seat of Christ but you. It's kind of like when you're playing uh, golf. If you mess up, you got nobody to blame but yourself. Well, you, you might blame the weather, or you might blame the guy that coughed when you're about to hit the ball, but, but bottom line is just like playing golf or singles, tennis, or anything, any individual sport, bowling, I mean, the only person you can really blame is yourself. And uh, everybody else has to play under the same conditions as you. And when it comes to the, to the rewards that you can gain at the judgment seat of Christ, it's up to you. This is a free enterprise system for gaining eternal uh, benefit and rewards that, that you can put as much into as you would like. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So that's up to you. You can get as much out of this thing called Christianity and lay up as much treasure in heaven as you will. It's about your effort. Not only is it about your effort, it's about your, your motives, your heart. Um, it's not just about what you do. God's also interest, interested in why did you do it? What was your motivation? Were you motivated by, by your love for him? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, a little bit further down from the passage that I 
uh, quoted to you, or the verse I quoted to, to you before about the judgment seat of Christ, that was verse 10. Down just a little bit further, in verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. In verse 15, And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. We ought to live for Jesus Christ because of our love for Jesus Christ and the love that he had for us. The love that he had for us ought to constrain us to love him and to live for him. And, and that is the proper order of service. Our service should be born of our love for Jesus Christ. Our labor, as it says in the Bible, should be a labor of love, a labor of love. And uh, God uh, only rewards us if what we do is, is done with proper motives and proper methods. Again, it's not just what we do. You know, the Lord told some people about what they did. He said uh, they have their reward. Talk about people that, uh, that gave and, um, you know, uh, blew a trumpet b- before others and, and so everybody would see what they did. No, he said, verily, they have their reward. These are things that we do from our hearts with a right heart toward God, with the right motives and even the right methods. Second Timothy 2.5 says, And if a man also strive for the masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. In a little while, you remember that word crown, you'll see that that has a big, strong bearing uh, on the judgment seat of Christ. When it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, the most descriptive passage about what takes place there is in 1 Corinthians in chapter number 3. And so we'll look at that here uh, for just a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 11, the Apostle Paul says, For other foundation can no man lay than that, which, that, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation of our salvation. Now, once you got the foundation, you build upon that foundation. And in verse 12, he says, Now, if any man build upon this foundation, and we all build upon it. After you get saved every day of your life, uh, you're building upon that foundation. When you build upon that foundation, you'll build one of six things that the Bible enumerates in 1 Corinthians 3.12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Now, he, he lists all these things together, and he heaps them together. But there is a division between these six things, and the division comes right in the middle. Three of these things are good things. Three of these things are bad things. These um, things are representative of our, our works. The gold, the silver, the precious stones, the wood, hay, and the stubble. For the next verse says, Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. The judgment seat of Christ will be a revealing judgment, and those works will be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Incidentally, at the judgment seat of Christ, we'll stand before Jesus Christ. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Lord Jesus Christ, in Revelation chapter 1, has eyes of fire. And one day, your eyes are going to look into those fiery eyes of Jesus Christ. And those fiery eyes are going to look right through you and melt right through you. And this fire that um, is going to try our works, it's, it's, it's my leaning that this fire is going to be kindled by those fiery eyes of Jesus Christ. Over in the book of Proverbs, it says... A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes. And the king of kings, Lord Jesus Christ, sitting in his throne of judgment, is going to scatter away the evil 
as it were, with his eyes, as our works are revealed by fire. And 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work, he says in verse 14, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. And it sh- you should note that he says loss, L-O-S-S, not L-O-S-T. He's not going to be unsaved. He's not going to lose his salvation. He's going to lose out on his rewards like we saw earlier in Second John. We want to receive a full reward. Now, these works are going to be put through the fire. Some of these works will abide the fire. Some of these works are going to be burned. As we look at the six works, we know if the gold, the silver, and the precious stones were put through the fire, they would abide. The fire would not burn them up. But however, the wood, hay, and the stubble would be burned up. So, so the wood, hay, and the stubble, if you stop and think about it, those are all dead things. A tree that has uh, been cut off from its life's uh, forest and, and dried out, it becomes wood. Hay, uh, it, although it can be alive, we usually see it in, in hay bales when it's uh, baled uh, for uh, use as animal uh, feed and, and other things. And then stubble, what's, re- what's remaining when you cut uh, the grass. These are all dead things. These are dead works. Those dead works are going to be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. And God's going to heap all of our works together. Uh, the gold, the silver, the precious stones, the wood, hay, the stubble. They're going to go through that fire, and the fire will burn up the wood, hay, and stubble, and leave the gold, silver, and precious stones. And I guess your goal ought to be, this is my goal, that when, when the burning is finished and the fire is through, that the pile of the gold, the silver, and precious stones is going to be bigger than the pile of ashes that's left behind at uh, the judgment seat of Christ when the dead works are burned up. We will certainly, be not being perfect yet down here, we'll certainly all have some amount of uh, wood, hay, and stubble. Uh, we, should, we should work to minimize that amount. So it's important to, to note again now, if you suffer loss of the judgment seat of Christ, you're still going to be saved. And uh, some Christians, though saved, they're going to find themselves ashamed when they stand before the Lord. Uh, I'm going to read you a couple places that will teach, uh, teach you that. While I'm turning to Mark chapter 8, let me tell you that this judgment that for the Christians is going to take place um, after the rapture. When we go up to meet the Lord, after the Lord calls us on home, we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 30, 38, Jesus said this, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If we'll be ashamed of him down here, we don't want to stand up for him. But in the midst of a sinful and adulterous generation, by the way, this was written in the time of Christ, and, and how much the more is that true of this generation? But if we're ashamed of him down here in front of those people, he's going to be ashamed of us when he comes. Again, not, not going to cause us to go to hell, not going to take away our salvation, but he'll look upon us with shame. One of the great pictures of this is when, when the apostle Peter had denied the Lord, and finally the cock crew, when the cock crew that uh, particular time, the Bible said that Peter turned and looked on Jesus, and, uh, and, and Jesus was looking on Peter, and their eyes met, and when that happened, I mean, their eyes met, the cock crew, it's like, the, to me, it reminds me of the trumpet sounding. The cock crowing is it's what happens in the morning, so it's a wake-up call. And when their eyes met, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. And he was ashamed. And that's a picture of what it's going to be like for some Christians at the judgment seat of Christ. Furthermore, 
In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28, the Bible says, and now little children. So these are saved people. Uh, we're children of God. You're all children of God by faith in uh, Christ Jesus. And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We want to be able to confidently give account of ourselves to God and not shamefully give account of ourselves to God. So for some people, the judgment seat of Christ will be a shameful judgment. And uh, brother or sister Christian, listening to this, uh, that ought to put some holy fear in you. Some holy fear whereby you might seek to serve God acceptably with, with uh, reverence and with holy fear. And uh, do so in preparation of the judgment seat of Christ. You ought to live your life in light of the judgment seat of Christ because this is where you're going to wind up. When God uh, speaks of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, he speaks of these rewards in uh, the terms of uh, crowns. And there's five particular crowns that are mentioned. And uh, I'm going to go through them real quick. I'll give you a reference for each, and you can look up that reference and uh, find a little bit more detail. The first one that you encounter is in 1 Corinthians 9.25 called the incorruptible crown. And this is a crown that is given in particular uh, for self-discipline in Christian matters, where Paul talked about keeping under his body and bringing it into subjection. And uh, he compared it to an athlete who would uh, try to... Um, prepare himself and discipline his body so that he could win a corruptible crown. And he said, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. You can see this, especially at this time in, um, um, in our labs as we're getting ready for the Winter Olympics. And you will find people that, that work and toil and get up early and stay up late and train hard and long hours and deny themselves for what? For the opportunity to gain and win a gold, a silver, or a bronze medal. These type of crowns are corruptible crowns, and um, although there may be, uh, I'm not saying it's intrinsically bad to do that, I'm, I'm simply saying that the Lord used that as a compar comparison so that we could see that all the effort they put forth to obtain a corruptible crown is something we can learn from to uh, obtain an incorruptible crown, and that means sometimes we're going to have to work long and hard hours, we're going to have to uh, serve the Lord when we're tired and we don't feel like it, we're going to have to de deny ourselves. In order to read our Bible, sometimes you're going to have to force your flesh to do it. In order to have prayer, sometimes you're going to have to get your, your body down there and, and, and begin to uh, kneel down and, and talk to God and, and uh, pray through that uh, wall of uh, your flesh and, until you get in the Spirit and begin to pray, as the Bible says, praying in the Holy Ghost, uh, not in, the, in the unknown tongues or anything like that, but simply a Spirit-filled session of prayer. It's going to take self-denial and self-discipline. And uh, you will gain an incorruptible crown for doing that. There is also in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, the crown of rejoicing. This crown is given for winning souls and witnessing. Where Paul told those in Thessalonica that they would be his crown of rejoicing. These people that he preached the gospel to. These people that got saved. And, and so the Bible admonishes us to witness. And of course, uh, uh, the Lord uh, in his righteous fashion uh, also rewards us for doing so. And we don't get all of our rewards for witnessing down here. Uh, sometimes there, there are people that you witness to or you pass out tracts to that uh, will wind up getting saved, and we won't find out about them until the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, so you keep on doing it by faith. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So you preach the gospel, and ultimately somebody uh, can get saved from it. That's the crown of rejoicing. There's the crown of righteousness Paul spoke about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. 
This crown was given for loving the Lord's appearing and living and serving him so as uh, when he comes, you will indeed be glad to see him. It's not just uh, enough to earn this crown by saying, well, I want the Lord to come back. Well, it, it also depends upon you fighting the good fight of faith, as Paul did, as you finishing your course, as Paul said that he did. And uh, Paul said, I've, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Indicating that loving his appearing was contingent upon you living your life to finish your course uh, in the course of service that the Lord has laid out for you in serving Jesus Christ. And uh, that's what's going to make you glad to see him. You might say, oh, I wish the Lord would come back because you're tired of living down here on this earth. But if he comes back and finds you with your hand in the proverbial cookie jar doing something you weren't supposed to be doing, uh, you may say you love his appearing, but you're not going to love it when he comes and catches you doing something you shouldn't have been doing. There is also the crown of life. The crown of life uh, is in James chapter 1, verse 12. In James 1, verse 12, this crown is said for, to be given for enduring temptation. Blessed is a man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. The crown of life. This crown is sometimes also called the martyr's crown, because in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, people are giving that for, giving it, that for being martyred. Um, by virtue of James 1, 12, we know that it is not limited only to those that are martyred, but uh, as we have to endure temptation... In order to get this, it helps us to know that some people will literally give their lives. And in the other case, some people will spiritually give their life. And because to deny yourself giving into temptation is a matter of you dying to yourself, as the Bible discusses in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 11. And uh, so one of them is, is dying to yourself. The other one is literally dying for the Lord. That's the crown of life. Then there's also the crown of glory. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 4, this is given to faithful preachers who um, uh, feed and love the flock. This is sometimes called the shepherd's crown. Uh, these are preachers that lead by example, uh, preachers that feed the flock with the word of God. However, I want to point out that I don't believe this crown is just limited to preachers. Somebody has uh, suggested, as the statute was in the Old Testament, that those that go down to the battle would share... Uh, alike, and I, I use the term loosely, but, but they would also uh, take part, not just them would take part in the reward, but the people that uh, tarried by the stuff would have part in the spoil. So while the, 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 the chief warriors, I guess you'd say, would go to the front lines, other people had to guard the camp and uh, stay by the stuff. And not all of us are called to go out always into the front lines. Uh, as a preacher, I am. Um, uh, but uh, you have good people in the church that stay by the stuff. And, and so they made that a, a statute in the Old Testament. But beyond that, I, I would point this out. And to me, this is uh, definitive. Proverbs chapter 4 and verses 7 through 9, if you look at them sometime, you'll find out that a crown of glory, the same crown mentioned in First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, a crown of glory is offered to those that obtain the wisdom of God. And if you'll get wisdom and get understanding, uh, you'll find that a crown of glory shall she deliver thee. So you don't have to be a preacher to get wisdom. James tells us that. If any of you, you know, if any man lack wisdom, he can ask of God and the Lord will give it to him. So um, that's available to all of us. 
I want to say before leaving this part of the study and uh, then spending a, a little bit of time at the end here on, on the other judgment that, we're, that we talked about, I want to say that the judgment seat of Christ is not something to be taken lightly. In 2 Corinthians 5, which I quoted before and, and where it talked about all of us are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that was 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 10. In verse number 11, Paul says, Therefore, knowing, or knowing therefore the terror of the Lord... We persuade men. After he spoke about the judgment seat of Christ and us receiving in our body the things we've done, whether it be good or bad, he said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul said that in reference to the judgment seat of Christ. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. If you fail to earn rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, it'll be nobody's fault but your own. If you have a bad time at the judgment seat of Christ, it'll be nobody's fault but your own. You ought to serve him now so that one day when you stand before the Lord, he might look at you and reward you and give you crowns that you might in turn cast at his feet in honor and glory to the King of Kings and that he might be able to say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the judgment seat of Christ. Let me tell you about another judgment. Those who are not saved face the prospect of judgment at the great white throne judgment. The most descriptive passage about the great white throne judgment is in Revelation chapter 20 and verses 11 through 15. Uh, The judgment seat of Christ, we found a lot of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. Now the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment will be the lost man's chance to have his day in court. Unfortunately for him, uh, it'll be too late to change the outcome uh, of his uh, trial He's basically going to be formally sentenced at the great white throne judgment. This judgment then is not going to determine where the lost person spends eternity. That was determined when he died without Jesus Christ as his Savior. What will happen at this judgment is that the lost person is going to face off one-on-one with God. So to this end, uh, we warn the unsaved people, as God warned Israel in Amos 4.12, prepare to meet thy God. Of that day, Jesus said that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. In uh, Luke chapter 12 and verse number 2, the Bible says, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. At the great white throne judgment, everything that was ever done in a person's life will be brought out into the open for judgment. There'll, there's nothing that you're going to hide. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14 states emphatically, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Listen, at the great white throne judgment, there'll be no place to run. There'll be no place to hide. Job says in Job 34, verse 22, the book of Job says, There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. It'll all come out at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, Folks say it'll all come out in the wash. Well, it'll all come out at uh, the judgment seat of Christ for Christians, and it'll all come out at the great white throne judgment uh, for uh, unsaved people. And that's uh, So as we talk about the great white throne judgment, uh, prepare to meet thy God. It's going to be too late to repent at that time. You got any repenting to do? You better do it now. That's why the Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And that day, the dead, small and great, will stand before God. The judgment will be set. And the books will be open. Among the books that are going to be open will be the 66 books of the Bible. Jesus said in John 12, 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. 
the lost man's going to be judged according to his works. Let me tell you uh, and read to you a little bit more from that passage that uh, I, I just mentioned a little while ago. Let me, I've given you some things from it. Let me read to you specifically the great white throne judgment. Revelation 2011, God took John the apostle into the future and showed him the judgment. And John said this, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose, fur, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. The books were open. The word, Jesus said, that I've spoken the same so judgment on the last day. Part of those books going to be the books of the Bible. The books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The unsaved man will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ according to his works. And since his works can't save him, see Titus 3, 5, or Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, or Romans 4, verse 5. Since his works can't save him, he hasn't got a prayer. It'll be too late to think about where he's going to go at that point for it to make any difference. The time to think about your eternal destination is now. Now, before it's eternally too late. I reiterate, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Not uh, 10 minutes or 20 minutes from now, but now. Not tonight, not tomorrow, not the next day, now. I want to point out that uh, Christians, though they are not going to be judged, those of us in the New Testament church age here are not going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. We will be present at the judgment seat of Christ. Not to be judged, as I said, but rather to assist God in the judgment. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 2 says, do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? The way, I, the way I, it seems to come together to me is this. Christians are to be witnesses for Jesus Christ down here. Uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, for example, we're to be witnesses unto him. And that's what we call, we call telling people about Jesus and how to be saved. We call that witnessing. Down here, we're witnesses for Jesus. And up at the judgment, as I understand it, we're going to be called as witnesses up there at the judgment. The implication seems to be that as a lost man comes before the judgment and claims God, he had no opportunity to get saved, and the Lord's being unjust and unfair, that the witness, that witness down here on this earth will be called to testify of the time uh, when he gave this lost man the opportunity to be saved by handing him a gospel tract, by witnessing to him and telling him about Jesus and how to be saved, or by making an attempt to do so. Let me read you the end of the passage from Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 13, and then uh, on to the end. It says, and, the, and this, uh, I better go back up to verse 12. I think I left off in the middle. It said, and the dead were judged out of the, those things which were written in the books according to their works. I guess I did read that, but now it'll make more sense in the context. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. After the great white throne judgment, the unsaved person will be cast into the lake of fire. You who I'm talking to today... You have your choice of two judgments that you can go to. You're going to go to judgment. No mistake about that. You have your choice of two. You can get saved if you're not saved right now. You can get saved and go to the judgment seat of Christ. 
If you are saved, that's where you will go. If you're unsaved, you can choose to stay unsaved by doing nothing, no repentance of sin, no receiving of Christ as your Savior, and you will go to the great white throne judgment, and you won't have a prayer. You'll, you'll go through the most embarrassing time you've ever lived through, and nothing you've gone through to this point in life will compare to it. And then you'll, when it's all said and done, you'll be cast in the lake of fire where you, where you will say amen to your own damnation. You'll be convinced that you're going where you ought to go. You'll wind up in hell. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon to figure out which judgment you ought to want to go to. Why not today, if you've never been saved, why don't you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus who loved you and shed his blood on Calvary's cross, who died for your sins and took your sins in his own body on the tree, was buried, and then rose again the third day. Why don't you call upon him and ask him to save you from your sins today? Thank you, Pastor Strobel. Talking about the judgment, uh, I, I used to believe before I got saved that somehow the judgment would have something to do with my salvation. That, you know, that I had a general belief in God and that, you know, I would, uh, I would be judged and my good works would be compared to my bad works at this judgment and, and, um, and thinking that I didn't, you know, do anything too bad, that I'd be okay. And, you know, a lot of people that I talk to, and, and probably most of us, that's, that's what a lot of Americans believe. Hey, man, that's, that's what I thought as well. And, uh, and that's where getting saved opens up your eyes. Amen. And, and you recognize that uh, the judgment, again, is, is not going to be the determining factor as to whether or not you go to heaven or hell. But that's already determined before you die. Come on. So waiting, waiting, waiting for some judgment to see if you're going to go to heaven or, or hell is not a smart move. As Pastor Strobel said, now is the is the time for you to to get saved. Don't don't put it off. Yep. Yeah. John chapter three tells us that uh, those who are unsaved they're condemned already. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and I was going to quote that verse. John chapter three verse thirty six says, "He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son." shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Amen. Well, you know, there's, there's a verse that I think explains why people don't take it so seriously uh, in regards to the judgment seat of Christ, or no, the great white throne judgment uh, is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 11. It says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the Son of Men are fully set in them to do evil. Amen. In other words, punishment doesn't come as soon as you do a deed. Uh, you get kind of numb to it. You get kind of used to it, not realizing that a day of reckoning is going to take place. And so they get comfortable in doing evil, doing wicked, uh, sinning, even if, even if they think in their own mind the degree of sin is not as bad as others. Uh, they still continue in it and uh, thinking that they're going to be okay because they've been okay all this time, not realizing that they're in peril uh, of their very soul for eternity, spending all of that time in a lake of fire. Mm. Amen. I wanted to talk a little bit, too, on the lines of uh, the judgment seat of Christ. And and uh, lately, I've been talking to a lot of defeated Christians, really, that have, have pretty much given up. And, and uh, you know, they, they a lot of them just you know, believe that if they do right, 
you know, and, and that's what a lot of the purpose-driven kind of churches uh, been preaching and teaching uh, really in this latest Ian period about, you know, you do right, you live right, uh, you do everything you can for God, and He's going to bless you with all the riches that you could have down here, and, and it'll just be a hunky-dory kind of time. And, uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, uh, God says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, just as Pastor Schobel mentioned, I mean, we're not going to get our inheritance down here on this earth. Now, God can bless us for what we do, but he's not, uh, you know, he doesn't have to, and he's not always going to. And uh, the thing is that um, many Christians get defeated because they say, well, why, you know, is it so tough down here? And, uh, and I believe Pastor Strobel quoted it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I mean, we're laying up ourselves treasures in heaven that we'll receive at the judgment seat of Christ. We're not trying to do great deeds down here so we, that we can live a good life. Uh, we're trying to do all this because we love Jesus Christ. And uh, in verse 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, our heart should be up in heaven uh, with, uh, with uh, Jesus Christ and, and, and trying to uh, save souls and, and get them to heaven. And uh, the thing that really um, really made me think about this also is, is I remember talking when we were in Rochester. We were out on the streets, and, and it was just talking to this defeated Christian that gave up. And he said, I don't have anything. I'm poor. Uh, I'm just going day to day with a paycheck. Uh, that I have left, and uh, he said, I don't understand why God does this. And uh, I, I think about this uh, church in, in Smyrna. Uh, it says here in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, the apostle uh, John says to him, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works, and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich. I mean, here he says that, Amen. You know, you're going through so much tribulation, you're going through so much poverty down here, but you know, up in heaven, like Pastor Strobel said, we got an inheritance right up there that's going to be so much more uh, 70-fold, 100-fold better uh, than what we're getting down here. Amen. Amen. You know, Pastor Strobel, you, you mentioned earlier in regards, again, to, to the judgment seat of Christ, um, you've mentioned something about proper motive and proper method. Um, you know, and as you were saying that, I'm, I'm thinking I was drawn to the verse there in, in Matthew. You know, you can do the right thing uh, with the wrong motive and it just burns up in the face. I think you, you even alluded to that. But, you know, you get into churches and you, and you hear people pray and, and you almost think that, that you're listening to someone that wants you to hear them pray so that you can compliment them on how well they pray. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, <laughs> which is down here, the praise of men instead of the adulation of God and the reward of God. Yeah. If, I could, if I could just ask some questions that maybe uh, some listeners might, might be thinking. Um, well, let me throw this out. Where, where does the concept of purgatory fit in, into these judgments? Get out the crickets. <laughs> purgatory is a figment of somebody's imagination that they invented uh, and uh, were able actually the catholic church made money off the the doctrine mm -hmm. they they sell they used to sell indulgences during the time of the i guess it was the building of um 
St. Peter's um, around Luther's time, and that's one of the things that got Luther upset, is the sale of indulgences, which basically gave you time off for good behavior in purgatory. <laughs> and when I first got saved, I would read my Catholic Bible, and it would have a little prayer. I say when I first got saved, before I got saved, just before I got saved, as the Lord began to deal with me, and I started to look for truth. I, I was reading in my Catholic Bible and have little prayers to pray, and it'd say, if you do this prayer, say this, um, you'll receive so many indulgences. So, so I could get time off in purgatory. But, but purgatory is not in the scriptures. Uh, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Um, the, when, when you get a picture in Luke chapter 16 of, of at that point, um, paradise and uh, hell, they were separated by a great gulf. The fire was in hell. The great gulf was a great gulf. And um, in paradise was um, where, you know, you were in, in, in heaven for that yeah. for the time. So there's no such thing as purgatory in the Bible. Okay. Often, I, Eric, let me, let me just say this. I, I've often thought that it was an attempt by the church to give people hope that had no hope. In other words, um, you know, their loved one died. And, uh, you know, knowing their lives, <laughs> the way they lived, they probably weren't going to go to heaven, so they went to purgatory. <laughs> A kind of a resting place, and if everybody else on the on the living side did something for them, it, it kind of gave them some hope that they would eventually get on the the, the good side or get to go to heaven. Uh, you know, the Bible says we sorrow as others which have no hope. Uh, obviously, knowing that uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I often thought that that was a, a, one of the reasons that they gave, kind of gave them some semblance of hope knowing that their loved ones would eventually get to heaven. Well, it's a, it's a good point, Stephen. I tell you, before I got saved uh, as a Catholic, I didn't think I would die and go straight to hell. I mean, not, I mean, there was a couple times I did at least, but, but, <laughs> but for, the most, for the most part, I thought, didn't think I was bad enough to go right there. I thought I'd wind up in purgatory, but I didn't even want, want to do that. But I'll mm-hmm. tell you how, how damnable this, this teaching really is. You stop and think about it. Think about all the people that have been indoctrinated that there's a place called purgatory, which they're told is a place of fire mm-hmm. where you go, you know, is an intermediate state before you get to heaven. And so in the teaching of the Catholic Church, if you go to purgatory, you'll eventually get out. Um, so suppose I die as a Roman Catholic. I wind up in hell, and I don't have any, I don't automatically know all the Bible because I die and go to hell. I think I'm in purgatory. Mm-hmm. I, the great white throne judgment comes up, and the Bible says, as we read before, death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So the people are delivered up out of hell to go to the great white throne judgment. And here the guy thinks, wow, I'm glad that's over with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Only yeah. to find out he's, it's going to be out of the frying pan and into the fire. That's, a, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, one other question. I actually had a, a Christian ask me uh, this, uh, knowing that we were going to be covering this topic tonight. And he, his question was, is, um, is the judgment seat of Christ, is that judgment on motive only or also on sin in the Christian's life? That's a, it's a common question that folks um, wonder and in, in all we can do is quote the scriptures, and, and the scriptures say that we're going to receive uh, for our works, Second Corinthians 5.10. We're going to receive for the works that we've done in our body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. 
and, a, and a, what we're going to receive for those bad works is a pile of ashes. Um, sins, sins aren't, you know, sins aren't good works, they're bad works. Amen. Now, as I understand it, the Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Mm-hmm. So we have the opportunity to get things right with the Lord now. And um, we get them right with the Lord now, our, our relationship with Him, our relationship with others, then, uh, you know, I think that'll be done away with. We won't have to, we won't have to be judged for that at Judgment Seat of Christ. But mm-hmm. um, it's, it, it, I guess people wonder, is, is our sin going to be exposed at the Judgment Seat of Christ? And I, I think uh, only in the terms of the fact that it'll be like um, dead works. Mm-hmm. But, but, I, but, but I'll tell you what, if I were you, I'd play it safe. <laughs> Amen. 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 Yeah. Well, it talks about we shall suffer loss. Um, I'm of the opinion that that suffering loss is the fact that the sin that we committed prevented us from from gaining reward, and uh, therefore we would suffer loss as a result of that. Right. Ashes instead of uh, jewels. Yep. yep. Well, anything else? And I guess not. Tweet, tweet. That was a good, it was a good study. <laughs> it was real good. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. And, you know, as a Christian, um, it's good to hear again. You know, yeah. it's, good to, Absolutely. It's, good to, it's good to think about that because it uh, certainly does bring a bit of um, sobriety to, to your kind of daily walk, too, I think, when you think about that. Well, you know, modern Christianity is so positive that they're, 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 they disdain and, and really even hate any negative thoughts. And, you know, when it says, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Yes, sir. I mean, fear is a good, healthy motive. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if it, Paul thought it was important enough to, to remind people of the terror of that judgment, uh, it would do us well that that we would remember that as well. Uh, it would uh, help us to to do right, stay right, and uh, have the right motive in things. You know, not to try to consume things on our own lust, uh, just so that we could brag about it in some form or fashion. Uh, you know, the Lord is just. We don't have to worry about Him. You know. Uh, cooking the books or anything like that at this judgment, he's going to do the right thing. It's it's entirely on our shoulders uh, to uh, to do the right thing. You know, even when no one else is looking. Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I've been reading um, uh, some things here for church history, and one of the things I came across was uh, uh, during the early days of of George Whitfield. Uh, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, they, they formed uh, societies or a society where they met together in the evening. They eventually called it the Holy Club. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that they did, I won't remember ex- the exact term that Whitfield called it, but, but uh, it was basically a reckoning of, uh, of their lives. And he, he said that he did it privately and publicly. And uh, one of the things in this holy club is they would they would, uh, uh, in a sense, kind of give a, a review of their of their life and and what they were doing on a daily basis, uh, so that they could be accountable, obviously to the Lord, but to each other. And it was another motive 
to help them to do the right thing and live right, uh, you know, as much as we like to try to hide things and, and shelter things, I think it might be a, a good thing <laughs> maybe to go back to some of the old ways that some of these gentlemen that were greatly used of God to, uh, to practice in our own lives. Uh, you know, in, in, a, in a small way, uh, you know, we're, we're doing that kind of thing here amongst ourselves with this, this podcast, albeit, you know, uh, the time that we do it, you know, on a biweekly or however often we do it. But if you have some, some uh, people uh, that you're close to that you can trust in not broadcasting things, um, you know, letting other people know and you can confide in, um, you know, to uh, be accountable to someone here uh, here on this earth as well as to the Lord. Like I said, it's, it's public and private. Uh, there are certainly some things that, that probably better left unsaid, but, but still, you know, that, that accounting to one another. I can remember having a friend, in fact, uh, you guys uh, heard him, I think, the last, last podcast or whatever, Peter. Mm-hmm. Peter and I had a, had a real good understanding with each other, and we could tell each other things uh, that we really couldn't tell anybody else other than the Lord. And it was uh, a healthy thing for us because it kept us uh, living right and doing right um, because there was somebody else that would ask us, you know, uh, hey, how you doing with this? Are you, you hanging in there? You, you know, you try, <laughs> you giving in or what? You know, that type of thing. And uh, it, was, it was a positive thing for us both. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. All righty. So who's up next? I was just going to say that. <laughs> I don't know who did the... Uh... Well, I did it before Pastor, so uh, I think it's Matt's turn. Yeah, yes. Is that going to be the Tree of Life now, man? <laughs> <laughs> nah, I don't think it's going to be the Tree of Life. It, <laughs> might, be does what th- was, it might be what was uh, on the Forbidden Tree. <laughs> oh, here we go. I thought it was going to be, does the Tree of Life have wings? Wings, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The tree of life fly away at the flood. <laughs> got, a, got a lot of life things. We got the tree of life, the book of life. I wonder how many of those there are. Amen. I was thinking about doing the next show on heaven. Amen. A good subject. Yeah. I don't think we've Amen. covered that. That'd be good. That'd be perfect. Does heaven have things with wings in it? <laughs> The answer to that is yes. <laughs> and if so, what are they? Uh-oh. So oh, you, here we you, go. You've given we're him a title. Tell it's we're going to make you come back. I don't want to give, I don't want to reveal it. Exactly. Come back the to you know. So it's, uh, it's not angels with wings then. We've already covered that yeah. one. <laughs> Can't tell you. <laughs> you should know. You both should know. <laughs> Good. It'll be good then, Matt. Will Steve have wings in heaven? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Two to we'll cover his face. <laughs> Transport at the speed of thought. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Lord willing, we'll see everybody here again next time. All right. Hey, man. Good night. Coming soon, morning or night or night.
their doom. Trumpets will, Trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous be in the skies. Going where, no going where one no one dies. Heavenward bound. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on.